Jesus is the glory of God. He is showing himself to his disciples so they can experience with their eyes his true majesty. Hi, my name is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. Last week, Pastor Jimmy stated that we must get Jesus right. We must get Jesus right. And he walked us through a passage where the disciples, they were just starting to see who Jesus was. Peter said to Jesus when he asked, you know, you are the Messiah, the anointed one which Jesus told them strictly not to tell anyone. Then then Jesus reveals to them that he must die and be resurrected. And Peter did not like this at all. And he took him aside and he said, you cannot die. He was in disbelief and he rebuked Jesus because Peter didn't fully get Jesus right. He didn't understand that he was the Messiah to come and die. And even though though he didn't get it right, Jesus rebuked him, but not almost, he didn't just rebuke him to himself. He actually rebuked him in front of the disciples. So if there's any doubt in the disciples' mind that this is what needs to happen to Jesus, they would see. Jesus wanted Peter and all the disciples to know the true Messiah and not their misconception of, of the Messiah. And Jesus goes on to say to the crowd after that that they need to change their minds and give the allegiance of their lives to Jesus. And this is the only way that you will save your soul. That we, to get Jesus right, we need to see him for who he truly is. And when we get Jesus right, our souls will be saved through him. Not on our own merit, but through him. So today, we're actually continuing on past that story a little bit. We're moving on to the next chapter, chapter 9, where Mark will continue to help us see Jesus better. And if we want to get Jesus right, we need to pay very close attention to this story coming up. Uh, And I want us to see even more clearly the identity of Jesus, because once we see the identity of Jesus, Jesus, it strengthens us to press on until we are like him. Until we are like him. 1 John 3, 2 says, beloved, 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 this is you. We are God's children now. Not children of the world, of Satan. We are God's children now. And what we may be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, We shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. You know, one of the greatest motivations in life is seeing the end result of a process. It is when we see the end result that we endure the process in between. Have you ever seen those before and after pictures or videos? Um, Recently, my wife and I, we've been watching this guy who cuts lawns. And it's absolutely amazing. He, he goes to the worst house on the block. The, the, the grass is this high. And he'll, he'll knock on the door and say, hey, can I cut your grass for free? And they're like, 
sure, go right ahead. And so he gets out his huge lawnmower, his trimmer, his edger, and he spends hours, I mean, hours on this thing. And when he gets done, he shows a before and after. And I mean, I I thought it was impressive even just cutting my lawn, but seeing the before and after picture of this six-foot-tall grass chopped down to, you know, where it should be. And, And juxtaposed between what it was before it, it is motivation for me, even me, to go out and mow my own lawn, not mainly because I don't want to look like six feet tall, but no, but it, it motivates us it, it, to see the picture ahead. And so today, we're going to read about the time that Peter, James, and John got to see the end results of Jesus and his work. They saw Jesus reveal his true self. And I want to share from this passage four different pictures that Jesus wants us to see of himself. But before I get into this passage, I actually want to go over the first verse because the first verse is sort of interesting. Um, But let's let's read it and then uh, we'll talk about it. So Mark chapter nine, verse one says, truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And this is one of those verses that uh, it's not entirely clear what's happening. Jesus is still talking to the crowd from the last chapter and says that some of you will not die until you see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. Now, when reading this verse in context of what we've been, what's coming next, we can you know, attach naturally that the sum are Peter, James, and John, and that the kingdom of God and power is the transfiguration of Jesus, because that's what we're going get, to get into today. Um, there are other scholars that have different views on this. The only thing I don't think it's saying is that, because um, it says, those who are standing here will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God coming in power. I don't think he's talking about the second coming. So those people standing there, I don't think they're, you know, thousands of years later, they're still living, waiting for that second coming of Jesus Christ. I think it attaches to the story that we're about to get into. Um, so now, now we see this moving, moving forward. We have, the, uh, we have this first verse that sort of sets up what's about to happen. We're about to see Jesus in his glory. So before we get into it, actually, I want to pray. I want to pray that not only do we read this, but we actually see it in our own lives. Uh, God is with us right now. He loves us. He's actually with us in every single one of you. You are the body of Christ, right? And when you follow the Spirit, he uses you to minister to each other. That's how we see the glory. Wow. That's how we see the glory of God is when we care and minister to one another. And sometimes we don't because we just think we're supposed to come and fill a seat and listen to the pastor preach. But each of you have been given gifts. Each of you have been given something throughout the week, encouraged from the word of God that you can share, but we just don't do it because We don't think we can do that. And so I want to pray. And I I want, even as I go through this, I I want you guys to see Jesus revealed, but I want you to be empowered to let Jesus work through you too. So let's pray. 
Father, reveal yourself through Jesus today. Let your words be truth. Let your words be on our hearts. Let our, your words change us. Lord, we seek for truth. We do. We ask all the, we, well, not always the time, but we ask the questions, but we look for the answers in all the wrong places. Lord, help us today to look for the right answers in the right places because we're looking to you. We're looking to your word. Peter wouldn't listen. And Lord, sometimes we can be like Peter and not listen. But Lord, help us to listen and obey, to Shema, to listen and obey your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. So Mark chapter 9, verses 2 through 13. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came from the cloud, this is my beloved son, listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they, said, and they asked him, why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come. And they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. Now, this is uh, one of those passages that is very rich and through, throughout the study, um, I wanted to be jumping into the Old Testament a little bit. I don't want to lose you guys. I, I, when I wrote this down, I showed it to Jimmy, and he's like, yeah, you lost me there. I'm like, oh, I don't want to do that. So I, I'm going to try my best to make sure that you guys follow along, because I, I don't want to lose you on, on this. I want to make sure that you see what I feel God has shown me. Um, but we're going to start out with the, the first picture that I, I think that Jesus wants us to see in this passage. Jesus is the glory of God. Jesus is the glory of God. Um, verses two and three. Now, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John. And he led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. Now, this might sound straightforward, but there are some very specific details that should remind us about different stories in the Old Testament. And I wanted to take one connection out of this, just one. All right? 
It says he led them up a high mountain. Now that's very important. Um, Jesus led them to his disciples up to a high mountain in the New Testament. Now in the Old Testament, this mountain understanding is the place where God either revealed his glory or he spoke to people. Throughout the Old Testament, when people are led to a high mountain, God is revealing his glory or he's speaking to them. The first time this happens to Moses, I'm going to go back there real quick. You can follow me if you want to. You don't have to. Is in Gen- uh, Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. It says, Now Moses was keeping the flock for his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. So here... Moses experiences for the first time on a mountain the glory and the presence of God through a burning bush. In the midst of the bush, the angel of the Lord speaks to Moses, and Moses gets a glimpse of God's glory in this passage. And, and there are actually other stories about going up on a mountain. All right, that's one. Here's the second one Exodus 19. And on the third, uh, verse one, and on the third moon after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai and they set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain. This is the same mountain actually as the one we just talked about where Moses went up to God. Wow, so while Moses went up to God. So they're encamped below and Moses goes up And the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel. And then he goes on. But now we have Moses again. He's coming to a mountain place. And this is Sinai. This is he's going up to meet with God to speak with him. All right? And then there this is I'm gonna talk to you about the third time. And this third time, it more closely relates to what we're talking about in the Transfiguration. So see if you can pick up the similarities. So Exodus chapter 24, verses 15 through 18. Then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. Sound familiar? And the glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called Moses out of the midst of the cloud, Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire, devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of all the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Again, we have God on the top of a mountain in a cloud now. And this is the same cloud that came down during the transfiguration, I believe. And when God spoke and said that Jesus was his beloved son, you see that? The disciples went up to a mountain. A cloud came down, and God spoke to them. Now, a small detail. If you go back to Mark chapter 9, in the first two verses, it says they had waited six days. Six days. Well, guess what Moses did? He waited six days 
before he went to the top of the mountain, to the cloud, on the seventh day. So looking at these stories, there's some similarities. Um, and when, Jesus, uh, when Moses you know, went up, um, he, he saw the glory of God. And the glory of God was like a devi- devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. And so just like Moses met God on the mountain and he showed his glory and spoke to Moses, the disciples were led up a mountain with a similar experience. Now, let's jump back to Mark 9. We have the disciples and they're going up this mountain. And when they arrived, Jesus was transfigured. And this Greek, the Greek word for transfigured, you guys probably know it, metamorpho, metamorphosis. I was talking to my daughter the other day about it. She's like, I was like, hey, you know the word transfigured is like metamorpho? Or metamorpho? It's like, you know, like a caterpillar, you know, turns into a butterfly. Oh yeah, that, daddy, that's in the, you know, this stage. I'm like, I'm glad you know that. I don't know the stages anymore. You know, I'm 35. But she's just been learning or learned about that. But that, that's what it means. Jesus transfigured. He completely changed everything about him. Even his clothes changed and became wider than anyone could ever bleach them. And I like how David Platt says this. In this moment, Jesus isn't just mirroring God's glory. He is revealing his glory. Jesus is the glory of God. He is showing himself to his disciples so they can experience with their eyes his true majesty. Now, talk about being obvious and laying out in front of them that Jesus is the glory of God. When Jesus revealed who he truly was, they probably were, oh, I think we got it wrong before. Peter was probably in his head saying, I probably shouldn't have said that to Jesus. I probably would, shouldn't have rebuked him. Because now I'm standing in front of this, <laughs> I thought was just a man. I'm seeing the glory revealed in him. And when Jesus revealed his glory, it did something for us right now as readers as well. As I read earlier in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, it says, but we know that when he appears, we shall, see, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. When Jesus really re- revealed himself and the disciples were a witness of God's glory, it was for our strengthening so that we can have hope that we too will be like Jesus one day. And now I'm not saying that we will be God himself, but we will be like him. Here we are, uh, just a few ways that we're going to be like him, that we'll be like him with a glorified body. We'll no longer have this body that wars against God's way. We'll be given a body that does not desire our own way. We'll be given a body that glorifies God in every situation and finds life in every situation. Another way that we'll be like him is in his character. As Jesus chose to humble himself and listen and obey God, we too will be able to humble ourselves and listen and obey God completely. And because of that, 
we will be able to love as Jesus does as well in every circumstance. And so since Jesus is the glory of God, we can have hope that we too will be like Jesus. The second picture that I think Jesus wants to see in that, Jesus is the beloved son. Jesus is the beloved son. I had a friend, every single time he, uh, he's a pastor, and he, every single time he talked to the congregation, he said, beloved, beloved. He reminded them that they are the beloved of God. Let's go to um, verse uh, four and five. And we're just going to continue down the story a little bit, and we'll get into the beloved son in a second. And there appeared to them Elijah and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, is it good that we are here? So after Jesus transforms in all his glory, he begins having a conversation with Elijah and Moses. And many scholars agree that Moses and Elijah were representing the law and the prophets. And I, I, I wonder, like, they probably were told later that they, they didn't see Elijah and Moses and be, and be like, oh, that's Elijah and Moses. There wasn't like a name tag. They weren't like, like pictures of Elijah and Moses, but I'm pretty sure Jesus told them later uh, who they were. Um, but um, Peter, being terrified in doing his normal Peter thing, thought it would be smart to speak up. And he said, um, let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for he was terrified. He was terrified. Could you imagine seeing these things and just being like, oh, what's up, guys? How you doing? No, he was terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came from the cloud, this is my beloved son. But I don't blame Peter. I mean, I too would probably be dumbfounded, and I wouldn't know what was happening. And then after that, after seeing Elijah and Moses, a cloud came down, and God spoke. <gasps> I mean, imagine if God spoke to you, you know, just even in your head, you're like, whoa, what's that? I had a friend who was chopping lettuce one time at his restaurant, and he's like, I heard God speak to me as loud as day. And he's like, what was that? And I don't think anyone else around him heard it, but imagine this cloud coming down on top of you and the booming voice of God says this, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. This was life-changing. God just spoke from a cloud to his disciples and stated that Jesus was his beloved son. God, in this moment, was telling his disciples that Jesus was the beloved, the chosen. He was the obedient one. That's why he was beloved. He was obedient to God. And just a few days ago, Peter had rebuked Jesus, saying that he would not die. But when God stated that Jesus was his beloved, he was helping them understand that his death was the will of God. Jesus was the chosen one that must die and rise again. And this is important for us because when we follow Jesus, we also can be called beloved. Just like Jesus was obedient and gave his life for the Father, when we follow Jesus, we can also be called the beloved. Um, the writer uh, Paul says in Romans, Romans chapter 9, 
And this is about the Gentiles. He says, as indeed he says in Hosea, those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said of them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. Sons of the living God. And this happens because Jesus was beloved. Because Jesus was obedient, he decided to go to the cross and give his life so that we could trust in him, believe in him, have faith in him, and be called beloved because of him. Because Jesus is God's beloved son, we can know that we are loved because God gave his beloved son for us. That's the second thing that I think Jesus wants to see, that Jesus is God's beloved son. And the third thing I think Jesus wants, to see, wants us to see is Jesus is the word of God. Jesus is the word of God. And he says it, listen to him. Listen to him. A lot of parents in the room, how many times have you told your kids, listen to me, listen to me? And they go, oh, no, no, no. they just go off and they're like, yeah, I don't want to listen to you. No, or they look at you for a second and they're like, uh-huh, uh-huh, and they walk off and they do the exact opposite, right? You ever had that before, right? God says, listen to Jesus. Jesus is the embodied word of God. And this was foretold in Deuteronomy 18. The Lord, your God, will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Just as you desire to the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord, my God, or see that great fire anymore, lest I die. They were scared. They wanted someone else to come. Moses said that one day a man will come that will speak the very words of God. And this prophet will be in the form that will not scare away the people like they did, were scared at Mount Horeb. And who is this prophet? The writer of Hebrews says, long ago, uh, Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2, long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he created the world. Jesus, Jesus, his words were, came to us in a way that would not scare us, but it would be truth. And the disciples witnessed God saying, listen to my son. He is truth. The very words are truth. And Simon Peter actually pointed this out in John chapter 6. He said, Lord, to whom should we go? You have the words of eternal life. The words of eternal life. In this society, we are constantly looking for words that will bring us life, that will bring us joy. And we've tried so many different things, and they keep failing us over and over again. The Jesus Revolution movie that I just watched on Friday, one of the things the kids in the movie were desiring is some sort of experience that would bring truth into their life. 
and they couldn't find it. They tried to do it with their friends. They tried to do it with, you know, di- listen to different speakers. They tried to do it with drugs and alcohol. They were searching. They were, tr- they were looking for truth, but they were looking at it in all the wrong places because they didn't hear that God said, listen to Jesus. Now, I want to point back to the Old Testament real quick. You have the disciples on a mountain, and God says, this is my beloved son, listen to him. Moses was on a mountain when he was given the Ten Commandments, right? Words, the words of God for people to follow. Through Jesus, I think the same thing happened, but in a new way. When they got done with that mountaintop experience, Jesus, the very word of God that we're supposed to listen to, actually walked down with the disciples. Just like the Ten Commandments came down with Moses, Jesus walked down with the disciples. And I think this is pointing to that by the Holy Spirit, Jesus speaks to us in every circumstance. Jesus helps us to walk in the new law, the law of love, the law of love. And it's not just words to follow. He's actually with us to combat the thoughts and the desires and whatever might be. And, And this is why it's essential that we put the word of God in our hearts. God said to listen to Jesus, but how can we listen and obey if we do not study the word of God? If we do not study it and study it deep, not just read it, but actually sit there and meditate on it. I, uh, I went to the dentist the other day and I was talking to the person cleaning my teeth and trying to at least, you know, you get the stuff in your mouth and you're like, oh yeah, okay. And, and I asked her, I said, are you a follower of Jesus? And she's like, yeah, I follow Jesus. I'm like, oh, that's great. She's like, actually, I grew up in the, in the Catholic church all my, my entire life. I'm like, okay, cool, great. I said, do you read the Bible? And she's like, oh, yeah, I read the Bible every night with my, my, my son. It's a children's Bible. I said, children's Bible? Okay, cool. And I said, um, uh, do you actually read it, your own Bible? It's like, no, I just read the children's one. I'm like, well, I'm gonna, can I encourage you? Can I encourage you to actually read the Bible itself? Because the children's Bible might have some truth in it, but you need to hear the very words of God. And I encourage her to start on a daily basis reading the word of God herself instead, instead of being self-fed. Because I asked, she, do you go to church anymore? No, I don't. My husband, she, he doesn't go, so I don't go. If, if the very words of God are, are telling us that we need to listen to Jesus, how can we unless we actually do it? So I want to encourage you that since Jesus is the word of God, that we can know his words of truth in life, but we have to go to them. We can't just magically think they'll come to our heads if we don't read his words. We've got to put them in our heart. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. We need to hide his word in our hearts because we battle. We battle every day against all the words of this world. They'll tell us this is true and that is true and this is true and they'll 
They'll confound us. They'll confuse us. They will do everything to distract us from looking at the words of Jesus. So since Jesus is the word of God, we can know his words are life and truth. And the last thing I think Jesus wants us to see is that Jesus is the suffering servant. Jesus is the suffering servant. Uh, Verse 8. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. So suddenly, this whole experience is gone. The glory, the majesty, the cloud, the voice is all gone. And we have Jesus standing there and his disciples, just as before. It's like, what in the world just happened? Have you guys ever been on the, uh, the Pantheon at Bush Gardens? Who's been on the Pantheon before? It's a crazy roller coaster, okay? You've been on it? Oh, that's great. Miss Bev has been on it. <laughs> I, I, the first time ever going on it, I had a friend with me, and uh, he, I, was, I was like, dude, you got to go with me. You got to go with me. He's like, no, I can't, dude, I can't. I'm like, I mean, you're, you're, you're in your 50s. You should be fine. And he's like, no, I can't. I got two bad hips and two bad knees. I'm like, ah, oh, you wimp. And he's like, it's funny because I kept on picking it on enough. He, was, he ended up saying, man, now I know how my wife and daughter felt when I used to ask them to go on roller coasters. And, and they were like, no, we're not coming. I mean, I, he's like, I was really annoying too. And I was like, thanks. <laughs> so I got on this roller coaster and I sat down. And this guy next to me, we started talking. I'm like, if you don't mind me asking, how old are you? He's like, oh, I'm like 73. I'm like, you're 73 and, you're, and my friend is 50. He's what in the world? He's like, I've been on every roller coaster at Bush Gardens. I was like, that's awesome. And so we're sitting there and we're next to each other and we're like, all right, let's see how this thing goes. And we started off in the Panth- Panth- uh, Pantheon, the craziest roller coaster I've ever been on. Actually, there, there's loops and all, all over the place, but there's this one point where you go up and you stop and you come right back down. And it just takes your breath away in that moment. And you get done with this roller coaster and you pull in and all of a sudden, what just happened? (laughs) What just happened? And I can imagine that that's what the disciples were thinking. What just happened? They experienced God in the cloud and the glory of God through Jesus in the flesh. And they were given this word from God. And then they were coming off this high. They're coming down from this mountain. And Jesus asked them to say nothing. And they're like, they're probably like, yes, we'll do that. Oh, we can't tell anyone. Can't tell anyone about this. And so they're like, okay, well, what do we do? All right, all right, we got some time left. We're walking down this mountain. Jesus, can we ask you some questions? Because we don't really fully get this. We're going to ask you some questions. And so they start asking questions. They're like, where did this question come from? Why does the scripture say that Elijah must come first? That is not the question I would be asking. At the time, there'd be probably other questions, but that's what they asked. And Jesus answered them, yes, he does come first. And like, where does this come from? It actually comes from uh, Malachi. 
It says, uh, Malachi 4, verses 4 through 6. Remember, remember the, the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the father to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. And I think this is what the disciples were referring to and they were going back to. But what they weren't going back to is when Jesus actually told them who Elijah was in Matthew 11, where he says that Elijah is John the Baptist. He, he, he just said it straight out. It made it as clear as day, but they forgot that. So what Jesus is saying is that John, when he came preaching repentance, his intent was to restore all things, meaning to bring the people that had hardened hearts back and turn their hearts of the, the, turn the hearts of the father to their children and the hearts of the children to the father. But you know what? They didn't listen. They had a hard heart. And when John came, you know what they did? They didn't accept him. They didn't accept his message and they ended up killing him. And Jesus is telling them that Elijah, who was John the Baptist, suffered. And then he says, and so will the son of man suffer and be rejected. Verse 12. And how is it written of the son of man that he must uh, he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt. By saying son of man, Jesus is referring to himself and he's about to go and suffer many things. That's what he's saying. Just like Elijah, they came, he came and didn't listen to him. The son of man should suffer many things and in the end be rejected. And that's what happened to Jesus. If you keep on reading, he came he suffered many things, and in the end, he, he was crucified on the cross. Now, when he said suffer, that suffering actually it means something specifically. Because in, in Luke 24, Jesus says, Thus it is written that the Christ shall suffer, and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Now, when we say suffering, it could be the persecution he went through, the terrible way he was treated. It could be in the cross. No, Jesus says here that the Christ should suffer and on the third day. He didn't say suffer and die. He said suffer. So Jesus came and suffered. He died for us. He is the suffering servant. Philippians 2.8 says, And being found in, the, in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That was the suffering of Jesus Christ. Jesus, God in human flesh, he humbled himself to be a servant. He was the suffering, the obedient, the suffering, obedient ser- servant. Because he came to serve the Father no matter what. And because Jesus is the suffering servant, we can be forgiven of our sins. We can be forgiven of our sins. The writer of Hebrews says, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. 
because Jesus suffered and sacrificed his life, we can be forgiven. And I don't care what you have done. Jesus can forgive any sin. And he can bring new life. And his forgiveness is not just one time. It is for any time that you might sin in the future. 1 John 2.1 says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. He doesn't want us to sin. He doesn't make an excuse for sin. But then he says, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. We can be forgiven of our sins, but continue living life, guys. You're going to sin again. But each time, don't let that, that time, you're like, oh, it's, it's okay. Christ will forgive me. Yes, he will forgive you. But don't do it again. Don't do it again and again. Jesus came to forgive us of the sins and to, to live a, a new life, something different than the status quo. The status quo is that sin is normal. It is not. Sin is not normal. And Jesus came to combat that lie and to forgive us of our sins. Because Jesus is the suffering servant, we can be forgiven of our sins. So now we've seen Jesus as the glory of God, Jesus as the beloved son, Jesus as the word of God, and Jesus as the suffering servant. How should we respond? I'm going to go back to the very beginning. Once we see the identity of Jesus in all these things, it should empower us to press on until the day that we are like him. I'm going to, I'm going to read it again because we need this every single day. 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, we are God's children now. I'm talking to everyone. John's talking to you guys too. Beloved, we are God's children now. We are God's children now. And I want to ingrain that in your head. If you follow Jesus Christ, you have faith in him. You are God's children now. And what we have and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. Seeing the finished work of Jesus should be what our eyes are focused on every single day. Jesus is the finished work of God. Jesus is the first fruits of what we will become. But until his return, we must keep our eyes, we must keep our hearts, we must keep our minds focused on him and our faith established in his strength. So as we look at Jesus, let us be empowered to press on until the day we will be like him. So today I want to ask, have you looked at Jesus lately? Have you taken the time to behold his glory? Have you let his love define you? Have you let your mind be led by his words? Is your faith established in him? If not, I want to call you today to change your mind, to change what you seek, to change the things that you put into your heart and mind. And I know it's so simple to let this world get at you. I know it's so simple to desire the flesh. I know it's so simple for Satan's lies 
to entangle you. But we need to see Jesus for who he truly is and let him lead us to be like him. Um, there, there have been times in my life that every single morning I got up and I focused on Jesus. I, I sat at his feet. I sat in his word. I read, I prayed. And when I did that, he changed me. It wasn't, I wasn't, you know, the, the, the deepest pastor. I didn't go into the Greek and Hebrew. I just, I just sat at his feet and let him talk to me. And I read his word and let, it changed me. And when I did, my heart was less selfish. And he helped me to love other people. But there are times in my life when I have stopped making that a priority. When I did, my mind started focusing on the thing that I thought would help me. It, could, it was on TV, media, games. It was on my selfish desires. It was on what I wanted to, to do next. And I stopped loving people. I, I started just loving myself more than others. And I started putting people in a backseat and said, my desires come first before you. And that is the struggle that we have every single day. That we can choose to look at Jesus or we can choose to look at the world. And Jesus says, you have faith in me. You are my children. Look to me. Imagine living in your parents' house and all you do is look at the world. And your parents say, this is wrong. I love you. I love you. I love you. Don't do this. I care for you. And you're like, you know what? Mom, dad, I, I know you love me, but I'm, I feel that this is right. So I'm walking this direction. We do the same thing when we say, Jesus, we love you. But I'm looking over here. And maybe, maybe that's you. Maybe you say, I grew up in church. And I know that Jesus loves me, but I don't want him to love me because I think I can do it on my own. I can think I can look in this direction and find something. If that's you, I pray the Holy Spirit's pulling on your heart today and saying, you're looking in the wrong direction. Look to me. I'll be your life. I'll be your truth. The, the love you're looking for everywhere else, I can be that for you. You just got to come to me. Maybe you're just like, yeah, I do look at the word of God. But I just read it and go on my day. I don't sit and focus on it. I don't let it get into my heart. I do it for information. I don't do it because I really want to dive deep into the word of God. I encourage you. Sit with the word of God. Sit with the word of God just a little bit longer. Give it time and look into it because just like you would care to hear what your parents are saying because they love you, care to hear what God is saying because he loves you and look into it even more. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check us out on YouTube and Facebook to get to know us and see what God is doing here in Surrey. Be blessed. Be blessed.